You're listening to Childcare Voices. Lack of affordable childcare and low pay for childcare workers is a major cause of poverty and inequality. We are Grow Your Own, an oral history project that is looking to the past for inspiration to tackle the problems we face today. We're on a mission to record the history of childcare organising and share lessons from the past. We've brought together a group of people who are all affected by childcare in some way to research the historical roots of the issues they face. As they look into the past, will they find a solution that helps them? Hi, I'm Eva. I'm a single mum and artist and designer who specialises in delivering family-focused early years projects. Over the last 12 years, I have set up a number of early years projects, including Forest Kids, a weekly parent-led outdoor stay and play session exploring the Hackney Marshes, Kids Kitchen, young families cooking delicious food from scratch together, and Play Build Play, a not-for-profit company co-designing and building early years environments with a range of communities and organisations, including housing associations, community centres and museums. I became a single parent at 25. It was catastrophic and blew my life into pieces. At the time, I didn't know anyone else who had children and hadn't spent any time with children or babies since being a child myself. And then I discovered my local stay and play. It was a church hall just around the corner from my shared house. It ran three mornings a week, one pound to get in and 20 pence a slice of toast. I would bundle my son into the pushchair, leave the house, whatever state we were in, and breathe a sigh of relief as I placed him on the carpet among the toys and sat down, feeling the solidarity of other parents around me who knew and understood exactly how I was feeling. As a single mum, I can safely say that these spaces saved my life. It was here that I learned to be a parent, learned it was okay, and that everything that was happening to me and my son was normal and I made friends. Local stay and plays, including the Hackney Play Bus, allowed me to build a community that continues to support and nourish me and my son's life 13 years into this journey. Many of the people I met at this time are still the most important people in mine and my son's life. But stay and plays, mostly run by volunteers in church halls or community spaces, are almost never talked about in the wider conversations about early years and childcare. When I started an MA in arts and creativity in early years, I couldn't even find the academic term for these spaces, let alone any research. In the pandemic, these essential community resources were the first spaces to close and the last to reopen. I spoke to parents who, even by the time their child was 18 months old, didn't know any nursery rhymes. Where would you learn them without these groups? And one mum and single parent told me she was the only person who had ever picked up her 18-month-old baby. In 2022, the charity Speech and Language UK found that 1.7 million school-aged children were far below the expected level of talking and understanding words since the pandemic due to the lack of opportunities to socialise. I can't help feeling these two situations are linked. 
But what I want to know is, is this experience of stay and play settings and their importance in mine and my child's life unique to me or are they just as important for other people? And what is their potential for being part of a better, fit-for-purpose childcare system that prioritises the needs of parents and children over profit and the often misguided ideals of politicians? The first place I wanted to go was the Hackney Playbus. Set up in 1973, the Hackney Playbus have been driving to estates and parks across Hackney, delivering stay and plays to families from a double-decker bus for 50 years this year. My son and I loved the play bus. It was the inspiration for Forest Kids Hackney, the first community stay and play I co-founded back in 2012. Here is Playbus founder Pauline Weinstein talking to Craig Fees of the Planned Environment Therapy Trust back in 1996 for the Mulberry Bush Archive about buying the first bus. And, and I literally went out and bought the bus. Um, uh, I went down to a, um, a big bus depot in South London somewhere or other, and I, um, I said to them, do you want to buy a bus? And um, they said, right. <laughs> and they've got all these R, R, A, R, anyway, a number, um, which had just been put out of commission. But in fact, apparently some of the best buses London ever ran, you know, real good old stock. And they weren't perfectly good nick, but they just substituted these flat-fronted ones they were the, the ones with the, um, you know, half window and the, um, the engine that's right, the engine sticking yeah. out, that's right. And um, I've forgotten how we raised the money, actually. It was about £250. Anyway, I bought this bus. <laughs> it was great fun. <laughs> um, I don't know how we got it back to happen, actually. It cost £250. The idea had been to set it up to train young people to work with children to fill the gap in childcare provision in 1970s Hackney. But the focus very quickly changed to work directly with families and expressly with mums themselves. We must have raised money from somewhere. I must have done a lot of money raising. And we um, then employed a driver come playgroup leader. And we, we drove it round to the different estates in Hackney. And, you know, we'd, Hamilton, we'd be one day and another day we'd be somewhere else. And and the idea, I mean, the, the, my original idea of having the adolescence sort of disappeared and we decided to run it as a straight playgroup substitute. So the idea was to go into, say, somewhere like Homerton, where there was no playgroup, no facilities, nothing at all for the, for the mothers with young children, um, encourage them to come onto the bus and, in, and sort of encourage the mothers to get together and... Um, fight for a playgroup of their own. So that's what we did, and that's what happened. In one case, a whole flat on the estate was put aside as a playgroup, funded by the council. I was lucky enough to speak to Claire Kelly, who is a Hackney local and a long-standing member of the Playbus Board of Directors. Well, from the, the stuff I've read, they decided that they wanted to convert a bus and... The idea would be to take the bus onto the housing estates, run play sessions for parents and children together, and try and encourage parents to set up some kind of play provision if they found it useful and if it worked. And the very first play scheme they ran, before they formally launched, it was in the summer of 72, and they ran it on the old Kingsmead estate. It was a GLC estate and it was all based around small courtyards and they had a lot of trouble with older children you know who had who were bored and had nothing to do and were skipping school but yeah so it was a bit of a baptism of fire 
Um, but that was the original idea was to sort of promote the kind of idea of under fives provision and try and see if they could either, um, I think, either get parents to set something up or maybe to make the case for a local authority funded support or or something like that, you know, but it was to try and sort of seed something. So it was kind of thought of as an organising tool, bringing families together. Yeah, to sort of sow the idea and to to help bring parents together. I mean, in a funny kind of way, the principles have always remained the same. Equality of play provision, to make, you know, extend that provision to places where there is no provision. To bring parents together, so you've got that possibility of parents themselves saying, hey, this is something we want, or this is something we want to get together. Now we know each other to lobby for and then also there's the thing which we have an emphasis on now which is the linking into services another question i had was yeah like why has the play bus chosen the stay and play model and why do you think that's stuck for the last 50 years and you've not changed that model the ethos we have is that we will be with a family and a child for two hours a week but your carer your family your mother or your father or your grandmother whoever looks after you is going to be with you for the other x hours a week we're better off supporting the parent to support the child your work goes further it's a bit like it's a bit like that thing about I always think i always think about you know when children's centers uh, won't allow you to have hot drinks because it's dangerous and you might spill them and hurt yourself or hurt your child and my my feeling about something like that is isn't it better to have hot drinks, which are nice and comforting, and talk about how to have hot drinks safely around a child? Because as soon as that child goes home, there's going to be hot drinks all the time, everywhere. So isn't it better to have the conversation about how we can have a child under five and a hot drink in a safe way than to say no? Yeah, that's very much the ethos of the staff, you know, so it's, it's support the parent because, you know, that, that way they're best able to support their own child and, and they're going to be with the child for a lot more hours than we are. So, you know. Yeah, what impact have you seen the play bus have for individuals, for communities? Um, however, I guess we, you choose to define them and for Hackney as a whole? You, you can tell that on a very personal level there's, that there's a huge impact. I mean, not, of course, for everybody who attends, but for a lot of people, you know. We certainly have evidence that there are parents who live in hostel accommodation who have made friends at the play bus who live in the same hostel but had either previously not known each other. Big hostels are quite hostile, hostile environments. You kind of keep yourself to yourself because you don't really know who anybody is and some people are carrying quite a lot of sort of shame or, or confusion or just depression really so you know I definitely know that there are situations where or on the families who live on the same estate who have children of the same sort of age or live in the same hostel etc who who just didn't know each other so they're neighbours but they didn't know each other so I know that there's been plenty of um, feedback we've had about friends and we've also been able to help in some cases by doing things like finding if there's somebody who's got not very good English we'll go out of our way to find somebody from another session or a volunteer who speaks the same language and you know get them to come along and do a bit of interpreting and that kind of thing. Um, in Hackney I think we've just started working a bit more closely with Hackney Council and we've now got um, a, a contact officer called a relational lead 
there's a recognition that voluntary sector organisations like Hackney Playbus do reach residents that Hackney's not able to reach with their services. It's nice to um, feel like we've got um, a listening ear at Hackney. I loved the welcoming, non-judgmental and supportive atmosphere the Playbus always manages to create. One of my most lasting memories of the Playbus was of a dishevelled, overwhelmed-looking mum, a feeling I recognised and related to instantly, getting on the bus with her son. One of the play workers, on seeing her, gently approached and asked if she would like a cup of tea. I've never forgotten the look of relief on this mum's face, on being seen in that moment. I know she was able to be a better mum and her child had a better day because that one small gesture told her it was all okay. You've been with the Playbus 17 years. Have you seen a change in the way that you're valued over the years by funders and by attendees? When I started the Playbus, it was short start time and we had lots and lots of short start funding. It's gone sort of downhill in terms of that kind of commissioned support for what we do ever since then um, and now we wouldn't we wouldn't get anything like that I mean even 10 years ago or so we I was still able to get some commissions to deliver because it was outreach wasn't it it was great it was outreach it was gathering together families who perhaps weren't close to children's centers and weren't accessing services so that sort of commissioning thing it kind of it just it's just been on a downward slope if you like from when I started and now nothing like that now it's all just looking for grants it's so it's but it's sort of on the goodwill of funding bodies rather than from government policy yeah 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 very much so I look for a funder who's interested in early years or interested in supporting communities bringing communities together, supporting some some sort of health, you know, making people healthier, making people a bit more active, you know, like it is hard work really because, yes, we're not being sort of valued as a, as a provision. We're just fighting for something we believe in. And because we do get an immense amount of very positive feedback from the people we work with and who the people we support, so we, we kind of... We know that what we're doing is worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that's always interested me. I think that's why I'm also so passionate about this quite niche thing is because, yeah, all the parents that I talk to understand how important it is because they all went and they were all like at a time when your life is like blown apart, that having a space where like people understand and you can go just really helps you get through the day-to-day of this albeit good and exciting but kind of catastrophic thing that's kind of happening in your life 24 hours a day that you're just you know like having to readjust everything you've ever done but I find I've always found it really interesting that it's not talked about any all parents know how important it is and the, the few people who run these types of sessions know how important they are and then nowhere else are they talked about And I think the down the line benefits, if you did quantify them, they're huge, really, because if you're dropping a child off at a nursery and picking them up, you're not really going to meet anybody. But the parents you meet, they become your mates throughout a lot of the journey when you have children. It's, you know, and that the spin offs for that of having somebody you could, because then you start doing that thing about, 
well, you know, you're going to pick up my child on a Tuesday and a Thursday from school, from primary school, and I'm going to pick up your child and, and we'll take them back to our house and you can work a bit later that day. And that that's the beginning of so much. And I, you know, I've got to go to, I've got a hospital appointment and can I drop such and such off it? You know, that's, you know, so much value added really, that it is extraordinary really. Possibly partly because they are principally women's um, spaces. And so they don't get valued or they don't get written up in the same way because all those stay in place were very much sort of women's spaces. So that immediately means that they don't get sort of valued in the same way or shouted about in the same way, I think. I mean, the economic value of it is huge. It's just frustrating that, that they don't see it in that way or calculate it in that way, you know. Um, but there'll always be a need, won't there, I suppose, for parents and with young children to get together and provide each other with mutual support and in a nice environment. It's good for children to sort of meet other children, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, there'll always be a need, yes. As a single parent, my community is everything, especially if you are an extrovert like me. I have built my entire career around making and designing spaces for early years, focused on the stay and play model. It's my passion. While my peers often describe what they do in terms of working with children, I always say I work with families. The youngest children almost always come with adults in tow. In 2022, I started the Leander Centre Stay and Play in Deptford, South East London, a weekly sensory play session for local families. Using objects and equipment designed by Playbill Play, my ambition for this group was to offer babies, toddlers and carers the opportunity to play, explore and learn together while making friends. Two of our regular mums, Laura and Gemma, kindly agreed to chat to me for this podcast and tell me about their experiences. I started by asking them how important stay and play spaces have been for them as parents and carers. I didn't realise how important they were going to be and you'll probably feel the same when I was pregnant and even six months postpartum. I thought, you know, I can just stay at home with her and yeah. just, you know, take her to the park. And you don't really, you don't really think that far ahead until they're starting to move around and be more interested in things. And that's when you have to start thinking outside of what you have access to at home. I've built up like a yellow pages now of various things that I can take her to, but it wasn't until I started to come in coming to these types of groups that I realised how important they were for not just Thea's development but for my own mental health to get out to talk to other mums in the in the beginning it was you know what are they doing are they crawling where you know how many teeth do they have and now I don't really talk about her that much it's more about me and <laughs> you know it's it's really it's really important for me to look forward to something every week and that's why I keep coming back you, you get back to yourself you know, after two years, you finally get back to yourself and you probably feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I think I didn't really realise when pregnant how important it was, like having the groups for mums mm. as well, you know. Um, and yeah, I think that this is one of them. And I mean, living in yeah, a one bedroom flat in London, you need space as well, you know, and like coming to groups like this makes you realise the value of that, being yeah. able to wander free and know that it's safe but also take risks as well and um 
Yeah, it the I mean they're lifelines, right? Because yeah, how do you meet other parents if you're not going to them and like you say, like staying at home? And when I think about me growing up, I suspect my mom did stay at home, you know, because there was a bit more space and she probably didn't think that she needed to go out. But I think it would have done wonders for her mm, mental yeah. health, you know, having access to groups like this. But yeah, this one too, it's having cooking as well. I like that there's different things for different age children. You know, there are babies out there and mums that are sitting, chatting with their babies and, you know, they're probably having those conversations, (laughs) you know, more like developmental panic. And I remember those times and now it's, um, yeah, chasing after toddlers kind of situation. But (laughs) being able to do that in a space like this is great. And also being able to just nip to the bathroom and have someone else look after your kid for a moment, the value of that. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think that that would be something I would cling on to, but yeah. Yeah. When you leave the hospital, you get given the red book for your child, Mm. but there isn't a section on stand plays, is there? Which is crazy because... So many parents and childminders use these types of groups as a daily tool. Where is it in the handbook that you're given the the guidance and the instruction to to use these types of these groups? It's not anywhere. You kind of just have to you have to wing it and speak to other parents. Yeah, for me, I've only the best things that I found out about I have only found out through word of mouth. I haven't found them on some site when I've Googled. It's been complete word of mouth yeah. like all of the best ones um yeah, I agree. and the ones that I keep going back to yeah, yeah same um I think you said last week how nurseries are this thing and you know about nurseries but yeah they can't go there until they're a bit older and um yeah, you don't know about stay in plays. Like even the concept stay in play, I feel like I'd heard of it and yeah, I can put two and two together, but to actually know how they function, I don't think I knew at all until coming. Yeah, I see a stay in play as that parent role being significant within it too and the, the sort of like coming together, winging it together in a way um, aspect, yeah. yeah. I also asked how Laura and Gemma found becoming parents in the first place. I found becoming a parent really lonely. Um, none of my friends had children and I think they just thought that I was just getting on with it and that it was okay for them to sort of text me every now and again or ask me if I wanted to go for coffee or brunch and you can't do any of those things if you have a child that's over six months old because they don't want to sit there in the high chair. Mm-hmm. So I found it really lonely and I think that's why I put so much value on groups and in particular this group because I'm surrounded by like-minded women Mm -hmm. that I don't necessarily have in my friendship groups anymore. Yeah it's completely isolating I think becoming a parent and even though I heard that like I still don't think I was prepared for how I would feel with that and Mm -hmm. I had a c-section and my partner was off work for a really long time like he was able to take time off paternity leave I still remember him going back to work at something like eight weeks I'm so lucky I was terrified like what am I gonna do what am I gonna do you know um and yeah it's things like this like having a bit of a routine something that you can go to and I do like spending time at home as well but something that you know that you can go to every every week is really crucial (laughs) yeah 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 it has been fun and affirming to find that it's not just me the nurturing spaces created by stay in play settings 
are an invaluable part of many carers' journeys to being the best carers they can be, offering support, guidance and friendships at one of the most crucial times in our lives as both adults and children. I believe that parents are the best childcare and that supporting parents to support their children has a value as yet unrecognised by existing conversations around childcare. On the impact page on their website, the Playbus state that 100% of parents and carers felt that their children have more opportunities to play and learn because of the Playbus. 99% of parents and carers say that Hackney Playbus encourages them to get out of the house more with their children. 96% of parents and carers said they had learned new parenting skills as a result of attending Playbus sessions. 92% of parents and carers say they have a better understanding of how to support their child's needs since attending Playbus sessions. And 86% of parents and carers said they feel they manage the pressures of parenting better than before. But as the government continues to push parents back to work earlier and earlier, and conversations around childcare focus on the return to work, rather than asking what is best for families and children, how can we rethink childcare, with stay and plays being an essential part of this, to build a fit-for-purpose system that meets the needs of parents and children, not just profit and the misguided ideals of politicians. You've been listening to Child Care Voices. This episode was written and produced by Eva Freeman. The series was made as part of a training course run by Hannah Kemp-Welch with support from Rosa Schling and Veronica Deutsch. Sound design by Hannah Kemp-Welch. Thank you to Nanny Solidarity Network for the crash. The Grow Your Own Oral History Project is run by On The Record and funded by Trust for London. Find out more at on-the-record.org.uk or follow us on Twitter at growyourown underscore OHP.